Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3. We're jumping back into our Galatians series this morning. Four through sixth graders, if you guys are still hanging out in here, you guys can head to your classroom with your teachers as we jump into Galatians 3. We're going to pick it up in verse 15 this week. And if you remember last time, Kenny preached and we looked at how Paul was really challenging the Galatians who had slipped into spiritual hypnosis. They were going back underneath the Old Testament law, and Paul is really trying to challenge them on how foolish of a move that is. And that's what he's continuing to do now in this passage. Okay, So we're picking up right where we left off last time. Paul is dealing with this issue of returning or reverting back to the Old Testament law. So let's start reading in verse 15. This is God's Word. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it's been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterwards, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by a promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made, and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. And before I pray, does anybody feel a little bit confused by what we just read? I feel sometimes like saying to Paul, dude, you are getting into the weeds and you're losing me here. This is a hard text. Okay, so when we come to hard text in the Bible, the best thing to do is to stop and ask God to help us understand that. So that's what we're going to do right now. Okay? Holy Spirit, even the Apostle Peter said that some things in Paul were hard to understand. I think this is one text that he might have had in mind. God, we know you to be a clear speaking God. You're not a God of confusion. You give us your word because you mean to instruct us and to help us and to change us. So I'm praying right now, Spirit of God, open our eyes, speak to our hearts, engage our wills right now that we might understand what you have for us in this passage 
so that we might apply it in our lives for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So simply put, friends, you know that the Christian faith is built on a promise. If you are a Christ follower here today, at some point in your life, whether you are old or young or wherever in between, you decided, you came to a place where you said, you know what, I'm all in on Jesus. Like all my chips are placed on him. I really believe that through his life and through his death and through his resurrection, God promises to save me forever. Like I'm all in on him. That is the basis of our faith. That's the basis. That's where our faith rests. It rests not in what we do for God. It rests upon what he has promised to do for us in Jesus, right? That's what our faith rests upon. Not what I offer to him, what he offers to me in Jesus. Now, what if one of your friends, a brother or sister in Christ, or one of your family members started to drift away from that? What if they started, he or she started to act as if, well, really, my relationship with God is at least partly my responsibility. Like, I've got to maintain this thing. Hopefully, you would say, no, 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 no. time out. Like, that's, you've gotten off track. That's what Paul's doing here. They've gotten off track, and he's trying to bring them back to trusting in the promise of God. It's a promise that rests upon what he's done for them, not on what they do for God. Does that make sense? That's what Paul's doing here. It's a confusing or complex passage, but that essentially is what Paul's doing. He's trying to help them to see that their faith rests upon a promise from God. And to do that, he's using Abraham. He's using Abraham as an illustration. We all remember, hopefully, the story of Abraham. Now, when God spoke to Abraham, he spoke to this man at a time when God was not busy blessing people on the earth. The story of Abraham comes right on the heels of Noah and the flood. So God is actually actively wiping the earth out, not blessing the earth. And so he comes to speak to Abraham in an incredible way at an incredible point in history when, because of the evil of mankind, God has brought a flood to wipe and to cleanse the earth. That's where we find Abraham. Possibly a moon worshiper. Ur, the place where he's from, history tells us that that was a, a central place for the worship of a moon goddess. Abraham was not seeking God, as far as we can tell from the Bible. He wasn't busy trying to earn God's favor. He wasn't seeking after the Lord. That's where God found him. A man, like all mankind, under God's wrath, not deserving of God's blessing. Do you see yourself in Abraham? I find myself there. When I became a Christian, when God saved me, I was not a man seeking after God. I was a man deeply committed to my own personal pleasures at whatever the cost. I was far from God, not interested at all in serving him. I was interested in serving myself. 
And I didn't know it at the time. I was ignorant of it. But what awaited me was the sure judgment of God Almighty. And he was, going to get, he was going to call me to account for my life of sin. And there was no hope for me there. I was awaiting the sure punishment and wrath of God. That's where he found you and I. He found us there and he spoke blessing to us. He said, because of faith in Jesus Christ, I'm going to remove all of your sin and cleanse you. I'm going to make you my son and my daughter. I'm going to bring you to myself never to be separated. I'm going to provide for you and protect you and care for you and lead you and guide you. I'm going to put my spirit in you. I'm going to bless you and forever and ever you're going to be mine. That's the promise that he has made to us in Jesus Christ. Now you would think that with such promises, we would never go astray. Abraham didn't, right? You're supposed to say, wrong. (laughs) What happened in Abraham's life when God was taking a little too long to fulfill the promise to him and Sarah? I got an idea. Why don't you go and sleep with my maidservant? Why don't you go get her pregnant? And we'll just move this promise thing along. We'll help God out a little bit here. Can you relate to that at all? Does God's ways in your life, ever seem very frustrating and confusing? Does it ever seem like God is taking too long to do whatever it is that you're hoping for him to do? Do you ever get discouraged and depressed and just cloudy in your thinking, like, what is God doing here? And in those moments, do you ever take things into your own hands and start acting in ways that actually make the problem worse, not better? I can relate to Abraham. I think we all can relate to Abraham because this, friends, is the natural human tendency. We're not reliant upon God. We're reliant most times on ourselves. We're not God-reliant people. We're by nature self-reliant people. And the question we have before us is what finally and totally breaks us free from that self-reliance and the problems that often ensue? The only thing that breaks us free from self-reliance is God-reliance. That's what this text is. It's a call to faith in what God has done for us, not in what we do for God. That's what this text is calling us to. And Paul's trying to help us and free us from self-reliance, which is what the law really is getting at. They're doing what they think they need to do to keep God on their side. Paul's saying, no, if you revert back to the law, you're trusting in what you do for God. That's not Christian faith. Faith in God rests on what he's done for you. That's what breaks the chains in our lives of self-reliance. So Paul's going to try to do this in two ways. He's going to remind, this is a teaching passage. This is very didactic. It's trying to get lessons across to us. He's going to remind us first, if you're a note taker, you want to jot these down. He's going to remind us first of the priority of the promise And secondly, of the purpose of the law. We've got to understand the priority of God's promise and also the purpose of his law. Those are the two things that we see here in this text. First, the priority of the promise. 
Paul begins with a lesson we can all understand. He says, listen, you know how this works. When you strike a deal with somebody and make an agreement with them, if I have a contractor in my home to fix something and I sign the paper to a certain price for a certain scope of work, that's the deal. Like, I don't get to wake up and just decide, hey, I'm not going to pay you for that. At least we're not supposed to do that. We're not supposed to break a contract once we establish it. And what he's saying here is if that's the way it is between human beings, how much more with God? When God promises to do something, surely he's going to do it. He does not break his promise. He doesn't go back on his word. We don't do that for one another. Why would God ever do that to us? He made a promise to Abraham, and that is and continues to be the first priority. God's promise is the priority. Now, to this point, none of the Judaizers, the people, the false teachers at the time that were causing all these problems in Galatia, none of them would disagree. Yeah, we're good on Abraham. We're sons of Abraham. Like This was huge in the Jewish people's minds. I know what God said. He's going to bless them. He's going to make them a great nation. He's going to give them land. He's going to, he's going to um, give them an offspring. He's going to bless all the nations of the world through Abraham. Got it. What about Moses, though, Paul? God also raised up Moses. Remember him? And what the teachers were doing is they were putting Abraham and Moses on the same plane. God made the promise, but he also gave the law. So you've got to believe the promise plus obey the law. That's what equals salvation. And Paul says, no, you have misunderstood. The promise is the priority. The promise is the priority. It isn't always been God's plan to save a people by grace and grace alone. It's a promise of what he does for us, not what we do for ourselves. They got that all mixed up. And they were causing a lot of problems in this church. So what Paul is pointing out is that Abraham, when he came to God, just like us, when we came to God, the only thing that we were bringing with us was our sin. The only thing that Abraham was bringing with him was all the ways that he hadn't perfectly obeyed what God had commanded. And so never did Abraham, when you read that passage, there's nothing at all about, well, Abraham, since you did X, Y, and Z, according to the law, well, wait a second, why not? Because there was no law. The law didn't come for four centuries later. So Abraham's relationship with God was not at all based on the law. The promise is the priority. God's promise of grace to you, friend, is the great priority of your life. It is. It's God coming to you and saying, no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, I'm going to bless you and keep you, and to make my face shine upon you, because I've loved you, and I've sent my son to die for you, and I've raised him from the dead, so that if you believe in him, I'm guaranteeing my favor and blessing on your life forever. The priority is the promise. Now, is obedience important? Of course it is. But when God puts his spirit in you, and you begin to follow his commandments, that is evidence of your salvation. That's not the means of your salvation. When the Spirit of God leads us to keep the Word of God, that's just evidence that, oh, I am truly a Christian. That's evidence of my salvation. That's never the means by which I'm saved. Does that make sense? So we can't get obedience confused in this way. That's what they were confused on. Jerry Bridges said it this way, and I can't improve upon it, so it's worth repeating over and over again. 
Your good days are never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. And your bad days are never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace. So if you've come in this morning and you're doing really well with the Lord, like you're close to Him, you're reading the Word, you're praying, you feel like, yeah, you know, I'm trying to do what God's called me to do. Praise God. But listen, you're not doing so well that you somehow outlived your need for Jesus' death on your behalf. You're still in need of the promise today. And if you come in here today and you're not aware of doing well, maybe you're not even a Christian. Maybe you're a Christian who has slid into some sin. And you're more aware of your guilt and your shame this morning than doing well with the Lord. The good news is that you're not beyond the reach of God's grace. Right here, right now, you can call upon the name of the Lord and he will cleanse and forgive you no matter who you are. The priority in your life, the great priority of your life and mine is the grace of God through the promise of Christ. We can't lose sight of that. That is the great priority of our lives. That's what our lives are built upon. It's built upon what God has done for us not what we do for God. If we're going to break the chains in our lives of self-reliance, we've got to keep on relying upon the promises of God. God-reliance is the only true life and freedom for any one of us. And that's what Paul is trying to help us to do. Remember the priority of the promise. It's God's plan. It always has been God's plan since Abraham to save you by His grace and His promise. Not your own doing. So don't get confused. Don't revert back to the law. Don't revert back to a life of self-sufficiency. There's no life there. Don't go back. So the natural question is, especially for the Jewish person, well, if it's all about the promise, if, if the promise is the priority, then why did God even give us the Old Testament law? Why, why even give it if it's all on grace anyways? Paul turns there now. What's the purpose of the law? Unless they understand the purpose, they're going to continue to go back to it. They're going to continue in the self-reliant lifestyle. And Paul is saying, no, I want to pull you out of that. I want you to be reliant upon the Lord. So I'm going to tell you now the purpose of the law. First, the priority of the promise. Now, the purpose of the law. Paul gives two main purposes here for why God gave his Mosaic law. Why God gave the law to the people under Moses' leadership. First, it exposes sin, and second, it leads us to Christ. Those are the two main purposes that we see here. It exposes our sin, and it leads us to Christ. In verse 19, it says, Paul says it was added, the law was added because of transgressions. In Romans 5, Paul says something very similar. He says the law was given to increase transgressions. So here's how this works. When I'm flying down the road at 60 miles an hour through a 35 mile an hour zone, I'm chilling because I don't know it's 35. But the moment that I see the speed limit sign that tells me it's 35 here and I'm cruising doing 60, I'm doing what everybody else does. I'm looking in my rearview mirror thinking, where's the cop who's coming to pull me over? I was breaking the law just fine, but I didn't know I was until I saw the sign. The law exposes my wrongdoing. Does that make sense? That's how the law works. 
It tells you that you've not met the, the standard. Paul said, I didn't even know what coveting was until the law told me not to covet. I'm busy coveting and being jealous and being discontent with all these things that people have, and I didn't know it was that big of a deal until God said, you've got to cut that out. Don't covet. Then I knew I was a covetous man. The law exposes my sin. We had some flooding recently in our house due to a child who shall remain nameless. And our whole, most of our living room ceiling was exposed because the water came from the second floor into the first floor down into the basement. So when that ceiling was exposed and I had contractors in to look at the problem, they saw all of the original cast iron plumbing that was there since the early 1900s. Guys, I'm telling you, it was a mess. Like the pipes were all corroded. They were pitched the wrong way. Like when poop's going the wrong way, that's just bad. You have to go down with poop. Our pipes were all jacked up. All the contractors that I had in there said, you cannot cover this back up like that. This needs to be fixed. The exposure, the law exposes the stuff in our life, okay? It exposes when things are not up to code. The law rips us open and says, listen, this is the standard and you have fallen very, very short of it. That's what the law does. It exposes us. Now, before we get to the second person or the second purpose of the law, is anybody confused by verses 19 and 20 where it's talking about angels and intermediaries? And that's always been a confusing passage for me. Like, what in the world is Paul talking about? Basically, if I could simplify it, he's saying this. He's still talking about the priority of the law. I'm sorry, the priority of the promise. And he's saying, remember, Israel, when God gave the law, he used angels who gave it to Moses, who then mediated it to Israel. So you've got God, angels, Moses, Israel. The promise isn't like that. You have God who spoke directly to Abraham. The promise is the priority. He's saying the same thing there. The promise is better than the law because God spoke the promise directly to Abraham. He didn't use people in between. Does that make sense? That's what he's saying here. So let's not get sidetracked, though. He's talking about the law. The first purpose of the law is to expose sin. The second purpose of the law is to lead us to Christ. The reason why the Mosaic law isn't contrary to God's purposes is it actually leads us to the Messiah. It leads us to Jesus. This is how it does it. Paul says here, before faith came, talking about Jesus, before faith in Christ came, we were held captive by the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So he's saying not only did the law expose that we sin, the law exposed to us that we couldn't break free from sin. We're trapped here. We're imprisoned. And then he goes on to talk about a guardian. The law was our guardian until Christ came, 24. So in this day and age, it was very common for families to have hired servants or slaves who would be babysitters, guardians for their kids, teaching them the basic rules and manners of life. Paul's saying this is exactly what the law was given for. It was a babysitter. It babysat you. So when it taught you, hey, you need blood sacrifices to atone for your sin. And hey, here's how holy God is, and here's how we haven't 
been enabled to live up to a standard. And, and hey, here's a priest that has to mediate on your behalf between you and God. All of those things were like a babysitter leading the people of Israel so that when Jesus came as the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world, when Jesus came and the Bible says there's only one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ, they were supposed to say, ah, I get it. The law led me here. The law trained me. It taught me to believe in this Messiah. He's the one that's blood was shed. He's the Lamb of God. He's the one I need. He's the one that can provide only the forgiveness that God gives to us. It's all in Jesus. That was the law's purpose. It was, a, it was leading us, babysitting the people of Israel to go to Christ. Now, wouldn't it be odd if Vicki were going out on a Friday night and she said, I'm out of here, but don't worry. I've got a babysitter for you and the kids. Now, sometimes, I'll be honest, I might act like a little kid. But, you know, I'm trying. I would probably say something like this. I'm a grown man. I do not need a babysitter. And that's exactly Paul's point. People of God, you're not little kids anymore, so act like adults. You're not kids anymore, so stop being self-reliant. You're not kids anymore. Act like adults who rely on the promises of God. Stop being immature. Now, I've never had somebody come into my office and confess to me that they're really feeling tempted this week to go kill a goat. No, but none of you have ever said that to me. Like, I'm really feeling the strong urge to sacrifice something for my sin. We don't do that. But you know as well as I do that when we leave those doors, there will be countless examples of how immature we act with our lives. Friends, whenever we depart from relying upon God and we rely on ourselves, we're doing exactly what these people were doing. They're self-reliant people that God is inviting into a trust in Him and Him alone. Many of us will live this week trapped in anxiety about the issue of our finances. We'll start to lean on our own understanding. Many of us men as providers will work exorbitant amount of hours and neglect, be tempted to neglect the other responsibilities in our life because we really think or believe or put our identity in, this being all up to me. Stop acting like immature kids. Rely on the promises of God and the gospel. God says, listen, if I've taken care of you in Jesus, don't you think I'm aware of your financial needs? I love you. I'll provide for you. And yeah, go to work and be diligent when you're there, but this is not resting ultimately on your shoulders. I have pledged myself to provide for you, and I've demonstrated it by raising Jesus from the dead. If I took care of you there, I will meet your financial needs. I've got a plan for you. Don't be immature in your faith. Trust in the promises of God. Many of us will be tempted this week to act like little kids as it relates to sex. I must have this. And I'm the one who gets to determine when, where, and with whom those experiences are going to take place. Stop acting like little kids. God's promise to you is that He does not withhold any good thing 
from him or her who walks uprightly. When we leave the boundaries of sex in the way that God has designed it, we're saying, I'm trusting in my own understanding. I've got it from here, God. I'm the one who gets to determine when, where, with whom, and how long. That's outside of God's promise. Stop acting like little kids. Act like adults. Act like men and women who really believe in God's promise to satisfy you in ways that doing things apart from him never will. Act like adults. We'll be tempted this week, won't we, to go into another week being angry and speaking out of anger to our kids or our spouses, and we grow comfortable and apathetic living in these volatile relationships in our homes. God says, stop acting like immature kids. I've promised to you my very spirit. You need self-control, right? When your kids are acting up or when your spouse is doing something stupid, you need self-control. Instead of lashing out in anger, you need self-control. You need patience. You need love. You need gentleness. All of those things are promised to us in the Holy Spirit. So will we choose to trust in God and rely upon Him, or will we continue in our efforts to do all that we're doing in our own strength and power and lash out again and again and again in anger. Friends, stop being immature. Trust in the promise of God. And when we fail, right, and we all will, none of us is going to go out and come back next Sunday with a perfect record. When you fail and when you stumble, will you try to rely on yourself? Will you try to atone for your own sins? Will you try to justify your actions? Will you try to just cover things up? Or will you say, you know what? I'm coming to you, Jesus. I'm believing the promise. Blessed is the man in whom the Lord counts no iniquity. Blessed is the man whose transgressions, blessed is the woman whose transgressions are forgiven by God, who are covered, never to be seen again. Act like adults. Believe the promise. Do not be self-reliant. And the only thing that's going to break the chains of self-reliance in, your, in my life is when we fully come into a reliance upon God. That's what Paul is arguing for here. Let me have the band return, and let me just use, which I think Paul's trying to do at the end of this text, what he does is he just rapidly fires off several promises to motivate the people of God to live like adults, to live like those who have been set free through Christ. He motivates them through the promise. Verse 26. Friends, Christian brother and sister, you are a son and daughter of God. God has promised to bring you into his family, and that's never going to change. That's a promise of God. Baptized believer, you have put on Christ. No longer does God see you in your filthy robes of sin. Those are gone. He sees you clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Church, we do not place our confidence in our ethnicity or our social status or our gender. Verse 28, there's no Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. That's not where we find our identity. We are one in Jesus Christ. That's where we find our identity. That's who we are. That's where we stand. And the promise that God gave to Abraham thousands of years ago, he has now fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So those of us who are in Jesus Christ should hear God saying, I'll bless you. 
I'm going to raise you up. You are going to inherit an eternal promise because of all that Jesus has done and because you're included in him, there are blessings for you forevermore and all who would call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The blessing of Abraham has come true in Jesus and now all nations are set free in him. And so for in Christ, we've been set free. We've inherited all of God's promises. Now let's go and live that way. Amen? Let's sing.